every waking hour of our lives we are faced with decisions. The moment of decision is the span taken while we are making up our mind. During that period we weigh the factors involved. Sometimes it takes only a second, sometimes hours, days, or even weeks. But that decision is always our own, and if it is an important one, it may affect our whole future, even our life. You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, The Deciders. Sunday. Once again, I find myself shopping for a new pair of eyeglasses. Short of surgery, a new pair of glasses is the closest a person ever gets to trying on a new face and starting over. With this in mind, I wish I could wear a monocle and become the kind of guy who allows it to tumble into his wine glass when confronted with an eyebrow-raising situation. When I have finally found a flattering pair, the saleswoman tells me they are ladies' frames. That they are called Alex Nicole Pretty Woman eyeglasses should have been a dead giveaway. My next favorite pair are athletic goggles. I look so good in them that for a moment I consider taking up basketball or fencing, just to have an excuse for wearing them. But as usual, unable to make up my mind, I leave with nothing. On the car ride home, I am struck with what I think of as a million-dollar idea. Car windshields that come in prescription glass. This way, you wouldn't have to wear eyeglasses while driving. And thieves couldn't steal your car, unless they're nearsighted. But I'm reasonably certain most car thieves are not. Monday. While untangling my shoelaces, I am struck with an idea for a children's book the story of a little boy who wants to be a marionette. It would be the very opposite of Pinocchio, a real boy who wants to be unreal, no longer wanting the burden of making decisions about glasses or anything else. He lies on the floor, the puppeteer's cross he constructed, attached to him by strings, awaiting someone to come along and control him. The first person to stumble upon him is his bullying older brother, who grabs the cross and uses it to make him beat himself up. I am sure there's some moral lesson for children here, but I am hard-pressed to say what exactly that is. Tuesday. Tucker calls me at the office. What are you doing, he asks. Working, I say. No, really, he says. In fact, too lazy to get up and find a sink, Tucker's call finds me washing an apple over my waste paper basket with coffee from my mug. I make the mistake of sharing this sad fact with him. So, as a mid-afternoon freshen-up, he asks, do you sponge bathe your feet with cappuccino-soaked post-it notepads? I hang up with Tucker, telling him I have to get back to work. But instead, I sit at my desk and try to decide what to order for lunch. I know I should have a salad, but I want to have smoked meat and french fries. Either way, I should probably stop eating at my desk, as my computer keyboard is starting to look like the floor of an OTB. To try and get some of the dirt out from between the keys, I turn the keyboard upside down and tap it against my desk. 
In so doing, I inadvertently Google IMYH. One of the first search results is a Sheryl Crow fan site, IMYH being the initials for her song, If It Makes You Happy. And so, my decision is made. I have been delivered a sign to have smoked meat and french fries, as such a decision makes me happy. Hello. Hi, Jonathan. It's Mark calling. Oh, hey, Mark. What's up? Oh, actually, I'm calling to get some advice. Uh, uh, about what? Well, I gotta tell you, I've been having this weird sensation in my chest. I call it like a little flutter. A flutter. A flutter, yeah. Kind of like I got a butterfly flying around inside me. And I can't decide whether to go into the doctor and have it checked out or whether I'm just being neurotic. Well, you are sort of a, a bit of a hypochondriac. I'd like to think that I'm kind of a rational guy, so I made a list of pros and cons about oh, yeah. whether I should go to the doctor, and I thought maybe... Maybe if I read you the list, mm -hmm. you could help me decide whether to go in and see the doctor or not. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm I'm happy to listen to it. So, okay. So, what do you? Yeah, what do you got? Okay, here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. Pro. It's good to get out of the house. I feel like I'm too homebound. That's true. Con. The waiting room at the doctor's is like some kind of plague ward. Never touch anything in the waiting room. Yeah. Pro. Maybe this flutter is actually something really good. You know, like maybe I have superhuman endurance, you know, like a Kenyan marathoner or Michael Phelps, and, and I could take, you know, extra long bong hits, and I'd be rolling in endorsement cash. And then there's a con, of course, which is when they hook you up to those EKG machines with all the wires. It's impossible to wash off the little stickies they use when they attach the electrodes. And generally, it's, it's never a good sign when you have electrodes on your body. Yeah. And what if it's actually something serious? What if they want to admit me to the hospital? Well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe that's not such a bad thing. You know, I mean, if you can go into the hospital and they can fix it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about that. In mm -hmm. fact, I made another one of my pro-con lists about whether a, a stay in the hospital would even be a good thing. You've got a list for that. Yeah, let me just get it right okay, out here. Okay, sure. Okay, here we go. Okay. So, staying in the hospital. Pro, three square meals a day. Okay. Con, have you eaten hospital food lately? It's uh, really nothing to scream about. Pro, those adjustable beds they have, quite comfortable. Con, nurses are never hot like in porn movies. They're more like drill sergeants, and Reveille is at 5 a.m., and that's when the poking starts. Mm -hmm. Pro, you get to pee in a bottle. I, I know, I'm, I'm lazy. Con, did you know that when you get an angiogram, they go in through your groin? I didn't know that. It's true. Your heart and your crotch are connected, and I find that extremely disturbing. And in pro, you get lots of flowers and sympathy. Mm -hmm. But in con, everyone around you is sick. I once spent a week in the infectious disease ward because I got a tiny cut on my elbow, and it got a little puffy, and no one came to visit. And I mean no one. Right. And then there's pro, you know, they might actually fix the problem, whatever it is. But then the con is that the surgeons might cut off the wrong thing. You know, that happens. Oh, yeah. Or maybe I'm just beyond redemption. Nothing can be done. Terminal. Well, I mean, you know, that that's kind of a worst-case scenario, right? Well, I guess, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe there's a pro to that. Maybe being dead isn't so bad. Again, it's the lazy thing. Right. But then con, even if they do fix me, that might mean months of rehab. That's no fun. I mean, rehab's not, you know, necessarily terrible, right? I mean, there's, you know, tension and... 
a lot of mollycoddling, I, I guess. Well, I actually made another list about pros and cons of rehab. You're, you're thinking pretty far ahead with this. Yeah, well, you know, I like to make lists. Anyway, right. so okay. pro. Hmm. I, I work hot in spandex. Con, working out is tedious. I a treadmill. What's the point of walking three miles and getting nowhere? I can get nowhere just staying at home. Pro, you know, the gym is a great place to meet the ladies. Con, who am I kidding? Cardiac rehab, it's just going to be me and a bunch of 85-year-old men on oxygen. So, I mean, okay, so, I mean, what do you need my advice for? I mean, you know, reviewing the data from your lists here, I mean, uh, what is it telling you? What should you be doing? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of actually thinking maybe I'll make another list of whether I should decide today what to do or, or wait till tomorrow. Okay, do you want my advice? Yeah. I think you should go to the doctor. I think it's going to be on your mind, and you're going to continue to make these lists, and it's going to eat up your time. Just go to the doctor. Get it out of the way. All right. Well, thanks, Jonathan. I'll yeah. definitely take that under consideration. What, what, are you, uh, what, what are you doing there? Well, I'm just writing down some pros and cons. Why are you making another pro and con list? Well, so I can figure out whether I should take your advice or not. It w- pro, the man looks good in a suit, especially a tweed. Oh, con, you can't trust a fellow with a patchy beard like a 15-year-old. Hmm. Pro, the man can fly a kite like nobody's business. Oh. Con, he knows less about anatomy than Dr. Pepper. You know, I... Pro, he does have a radio show on the CBC. Con, that guy gets lost leaving his own apartment. Mark, I... I... Pro, well, he is a published author. Mm-hmm. Con, so is Jose Canseco. Pro, he is a nice guy. Con, nice guy with finish last. Jonah Larry, you wrote a book called How We Decide. Yes. So, I mean, how, how is it that we decide? It's a surprisingly complicated story. You know, I think for a long time we had this very nice assumption that people were rational agents. And this lovely exaltation of rationality goes all the way back to Plato and the ancient Greeks. And Plato had this great metaphor of this rational charioteer, and the job of the rational charioteer was to keep a tight rein on these wild, emotional horses and make sure these horses didn't lead the chariot astray. And and this went on to become a very influential metaphor for decision-making. And and I think, you know, in recent years, neuroscience has increasingly demonstrated that that's actually not the case. And, And there's actually a pretty complicated argument taking place inside our head whenever we make even the most mundane decisions. And and how how could you sort of characterize or, or describe that process that's going on in the brain? Well, just take the most basic example. There was an elegant study done by researchers at Stanford and Carnegie Mellon where they put undergraduates in one of these brain scanners, and they asked these undergraduates whether or not they want to buy a variety of items like, you know, a George Foreman grill or the new Harry Potter book. And what they saw was that they could literally see this argument taking place. So when you show these students an item they want, like a George Foreman grill, say, whichever brain air was more active, you know, whether or not they felt the pleasure more intensely than the pain of having to pay for this new thing, that determined what people would do. So the scientists could actually predict people's decisions before they would actually make the decision. Hmm. Like like for someone like myself, I mean, I, I tend to deliberate a lot. I'm sort of, one might say, chronically ambivalent. Um, <laughs> See me, I'm I'm more pathologically indecisive, which I, I'm not sure if that's better or worse than I'm chronically ambivalent. But right, I mean, so yeah, we're kind of working in the same field, you and I. Yeah. 
And what does that say? I mean, does it say that the pleasure part of the brain is smaller in guys like us? Well, I think what the evidence suggests is that chronic ambivalence is, is really a problem of thinking too much, trying to be rational when we should actually just listen to our emotional brain. And I think some of the most interesting work you know, in support of this idea comes from the uh, research of Antonio Damasio. And he studied patients who, often because of a brain tumor in their frontal lobes, lost the ability to experience emotion. So, mm-hmm. you know, these feelings of pleasure and pain. And, and you think, of course, if you're a Plato, that these people would become philosopher kings, that they wouldn't have any wild emotional horses leading them astray, so they'd make the best set of decisions possible. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you find is that they'll spend all day trying to figure out where to eat lunch. Hmm. You give them a blue pen and a black pen, and they'll spend hours trying to figure out which pen they should use. So, you know, that suggests that when you're cut off from these subtle emotional signals, you're not going to be rational. You're going to be a rationalizing creature. Yeah, I mean, I I find actually, like, in the course of my day, there are hundreds of little decisions that I'm making say, editing tape, right? I work in radio, and uh, I make them pretty easily, but the choice that I find every day myself confronted with, and the, the one that I have the most difficulty with, is when I have to choose the pack of gum that I'm going to get. <laughs> like, I can stand in front of the gum rack an embarrassingly long period of time. Well, that story, I think, illustrates two really interesting things, which is how experts make decisions, and you're clearly an expert tape editor. Um, it turns out that experts are actually profoundly intuitive, that, that they make all these decisions relatively automatically. Um, so you don't have to think a lot. You know, you already know what to do. And, and then, of course, you walk and try to choose a gum. And even though you should have some gum expertise, some part of your brain knows which gum you really like the most. But suddenly we walk into the store and we got all the options and we default into this very explicit deliberative mode of thought, which is sometimes debilitating. One of the reasons I wrote the book was because I would regularly spend 20 minutes, a half an hour, trying to pick a box of Cheerios. Mm-hmm. You know, the rational brain is defined by the, the prefrontal cortex, this uniquely human brain area. And in this brain area, there's lots of great things. But, you know, it can only handle about seven pieces of information at any given moment. And you give it more than that, you know, in, in most gum displays and Lord knows most cereal aisles contain lots and lots of information. There are many variables to consider. And, and you give this rational brain, you give the prefrontal cortex more information than it can handle. And it starts to short circuit. It starts to cherry pick facts and, mm-hmm. and focus on these misleading reasons. So, I mean, at, at what point does, you know, swinging back and forth and deliberating become something that's unhelpful? For me, I think one problem I've really tried to, I think, work on with myself is Herbert Simon, uh, the Nobel Prize winning psychologist, famously distinguished between maximizers and satisficers. And maximizers are people like you and me who insist on always buying the best gum or always buying the best detergent, the detergent that most maximizes their utility. And the irony of maximizers is that even though they're trying to maximize their pleasure and happiness, they end up full of regret, always wishing they'd bought the other detergent or the other pack of gum. And and what we should all be doing is becoming more and more like satisficers. These are people who realize all the gums will work, all the breakfast cereals and Cheerios are all pretty tasty. Just find an option that will satisfy you. Mm. And then when you get home, don't worry about all the other options. Don't fill yourself with regret. Really, it's a recipe for unhappiness. Well, thanks so much for talking with me, Jonah. My pleasure.
Hello. What's that you're doing your show about making decisions? Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm talking to some people who are experts in decision making. How do you know this? Uh, I was looking through your agenda and I saw your notes. Well, excuse me, why were you looking through my agenda? Why wouldn't I look through your agenda? Oh, oh by the way, um, don't forget, uh, 8 a.m. Tuesday, you're seeing the dermatologist for that rash you have. Okay, Howard, you know, really. Don't, I don't want you to miss that because you never know. I, Listen. I'm very, very surprised that you wouldn't have approached me about decision-making. I, I like to consider myself quite the master. Of decision-making? Absolutely. My whole life is about decision-making. Oh, is it? If you really think about it, life is essentially just a series of decisions that we have to make. Small, big. That's well put, Howard. Just one decision built, built on the other. I, I guess that is true. And you decided not to call me. Well, I, I mean, it's... I, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Jonathan, even when you choose not to decide, you've made a decision. Okay. All right, okay. So I've chosen not to speak with you. I guess I've just not thought of you as an expert decision maker. Myself, I mean, I apply my philosophy. What's your philosophy? Well, you know, when it comes to making choices, you know, I believe in, in, you know, divining. What are you talking about? I I, I divine. You divine. Dividing techniques in order to get to get answers in order to to help myself make decisions. Well, that's not decision making, then. It is. No. Yeah. Well, if you're rely- that's superstition. Well, but it's, I mean, it's just a direction. Whether it's intuition or psychology, I just use the powers of the spirit world. Well, you see, you know what? I've never. This is something new to me. I didn't know that you did this. We all do it. I mean, you ever toss a coin? You ever do the simple coin? Co- you know, I mean, not to make very important decisions. Well, but I mean, if you had to, I mean, if you were on a desert island. And, you know, let's say one of us has to eat the other. We're both starving. Oh, I see. So it's me and you. On let's a, say on a, on a, Yeah, let's just say that, right? So All we right. would flip a coin to see who's going to eat who. Let's say we're both on the brink of death. Like, John, you know, I can barely stand. One of us has to eat the other. We happen to have a quarter. Right. I mean, we're going to do that. We're going to flip that coin, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'm just going to take a rock. And I'm just going to just crush your skull. And based carefully so as not to ruin the tender brain meat inside. And all because of the flip of the coin. All because of the flip of the coin. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, I won't have any, you know, cutting tools. Okay, can we get off the subject of you eating me, please? All right. To be a human being means to have to shoulder the burden of, you know, making choices. I don't feel any burden. No, of course you wouldn't. But, you know, the other people, like the humans uh, around you, they feel some responsibility to, for, for how they choose. Well, I've seen movies. I don't know you talk about Planet of the Apes and humans, but I mean, like, I've seen movies. For example, here, let me, let me take a loony out here. Mm-hmm. We're going to make a choice here, okay? For example, Desmond, I haven't taken him out to pee yet. Right. Okay? So I'm going to flip the coin. Do I let Desmond go out and relieve himself? Well, what kind of a choice is that, Howard? Of course you have to take him out. Or do I just sit here and watch television? Howard, that's really, really irresponsible. Heads, I stay in the house and watch television. Wait, hang on a second, Howard. I don't even remember you calling heads as... Uh, I said to myself in my head. That tails you were going to take your dog out. Yeah, because it doesn't have a tail. I'm a human being. I have a head. So you're going to watch your dog's bladder explode because a coin told you to? Well, I didn't decide. The coin decided. No, you see, Howard, a coin can't decide. A coin is an inanimate object. So why did the coin say heads? It didn't say anything. It just happened to randomly fall on the head side. I, you I, chose I... to interpret it as such. Well... Twixt you and me, he has a little secret spot in the house anyway. 
you'll find your agenda in the same. Completely, completely idiotic. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, know like the I Ching. I mean, people throw coins in the I Ching also, and people make huge decisions regarding that. I'm sure you've heard of the I Ching. I'm sure yes, I've, your, I've heard of it. You yeah. know, so I have my own, you know, variation of that. You know, I mean, I have a sacred book that I use. Oh, really? And how does this work? I let the spirits guide me. I open up the book, and I'll just put my finger on something. And that word alone will give me an indication as to what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do. Okay, for instance? Okay, for example, let's say, uh, should I file my income tax? Howard, you, you should have filed your income tax a month ago. Or, let's say, shall I go get myself an ice cream sundae with extra chocolate fudge? That seems really, really irresponsible. Take my sacred book, and I'll just draw some random page. I'm staring at the ceiling, and I've been looking. I put my finger down. It says cake. It says cake. So cake, let me think, taxes. Oh, gee, I don't know. What do you think that means? I think it means go get a Sunday. Well, Howard, I, I don't believe that you actually put your finger on the word cake. I, my, I haven't even removed my finger from the spot. It says cake right there. And that's kind of incredible. Here, no. well, let's try it again. I'm going to flip through the book again. Okay. Random page. Here, I'll flip and you say stop. That's all, all right. right, okay. Stop. Turkey. What do you think, John? What do you think that relates more to? Food? Or taxes. See, that's, that one would have thrown me off because when I think, you know, you've got to be a turkey to do your taxes. But I don't think that's what it means. Howard, what is the sacred tome that you're using? Joy of Cooking. That, that, that's your sacred tome? Well, it's a new edition. It's a big, fat cookbook. You know, I, no, no, you no kidding big, you're getting every single thing is... is, is you know, is John, food. I mean, this is all the stuff we're talking about. I mean, this is all very formulaic stuff and it's very complex and mathematical. And stuff. That's mathematical. But when that fails... Oh, and it, and it occasionally fails? It, it, it's just when I'm not satisfied. I mean, when I, it hasn't given you the most lazy choice that you could possibly In any choose. case. Yeah. When all that fails, I'll look heavenward. Like, like you mean like pray? And I, I didn't know that you did that, that sort of thing. Like turn to God. Uh, no, I don't. I'm talking about clouds. I, I look at the clouds in the sky, and oh, they make all kinds yeah. of interesting shapes. Of course. And they tell me. The clouds do. The clouds do. Uh-huh. I mean, this has been done since, since time immemorial, where, where man has, has searched the sky. No, and, children, Howard. Children lays on their backs and look at clouds and to see bunny rabbits. Look, here, here. Look, watch. Let me show you. I'm going to open this. What are you doing? I'm opening the window. Uh-huh. I'm sticking my head out. Heavens, I beseech you. Uh, do I pay Jonathan his... $60 back, or do I get myself a new bell for my bicycle because summer's coming? Howard, what kind of a choice is that? You're supposed to just... Interfering with my, my con connection. I'm looking. It's hazy. It's one kind of big cloud, but it's roundish. L let me guess. The, the clouds are looking like a bicycle bell. It's, it's uncanny, John. Of course it is. Okay, so Howard, what do you do when you're in a situation where you don't have a big book to turn to? You right, know what I mean? Right. And it's not a cloudy day, and you right. don't have any coins yeah, to yeah, flip. Yeah. You know, what do, what do you do then? I, 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 know, I know what you're getting at there. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are the times I'll just call your mom. You'll call my mom? Yeah. Why are you calling my mom? She's got this kind of King Solomon kind of wisdom. Well, what, do you, what, 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 what do you mean? Who do I turn to? I'm going to call you. You're stuck in a, in a cubicle all day long. But your mom is a woman of the world. She's out, she's about, she's working, she's talking with people, real people. And, and what do you do if my mother isn't there to pick up the phone? Automatically that means pizza. And it also simultaneously means don't pay you back. And if it's a busy signal, that's usually Suvlaki. 
it's also not pay you back. And if your dad answers the phone, that's usually chicken, and uh, then I consider paying you back. But I usually don't. On Wiretap Today, you heard Mark Lamster, Howard Chakowitz, and Jonah Lehrer, author of How We Decide. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein, with Mira Bertwintonic and Carolyn Warren. Production assistance from Crystal Duhame. Tune into Wiretap Sunday at 1, 4 Pacific Time, and Wednesday evening at 11.30. You can also hear Wiretap across North America on Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap, where you can download the latest wiretap ringtone. Oh, oh by the way, 8 a.m. Tuesday, you're seeing the dermatologist for that rash you have. Have Howard Chakowitz remind you about an appointment you don't have with every ring of your phone. First you say you do, and then you don't. And then you say you will, and then you won't. You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? Now you wanna play, and then it's no. And when you say you stay, that's when you go. You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? And it doesn't make much sense Cause you keep me in suspense And you know it If you've got a heart And if you're kind Then don't keep us apart Make up your mind You're undecided now So what are you gonna do? There will be other decisions in the future And though you handle this one badly if you make an effort to understand the reason for making it the way you did, you may yet learn to make wise decisions before it's too late. <laughs> <laughs>